A construction worker by the name of Al Davidson uh, opened up his pay envelope one Friday afternoon only to discover that in amidst the money that had been put in the envelope, there was $100 more than he knew he'd earned. And he decided to say nothing about that. Well, over the course of the next week, the paymaster discovered the error that he'd made. And rather than making a big deal out of the thing and and disrupting Al from his job, he just decided that he would put $100 less in the next uh, pay envelope. And when payday came, Davidson noticed the discrepancy, and he approached the paymaster. Excuse me, sir, he said, I couldn't help but notice that I'm $100 short this week. Oh, you didn't complain last week, said the paymaster. Oh, no, sir, I didn't, said Davidson. I don't mind overlooking one mistake, but when it happens twice, I figure it's time for me to bring it up. It is always encouraging to see examples of real integrity, isn't it? Of a desire to clear up mistakes. Yet the kind of integrity that is demonstrated in Al Davidson's life here is all too frequently the pattern being exercised in a lot of places today. A popular talk show host recently asked the audience... What would you do if you found an extra $1,000 in your bank account and you knew that it could not be traced? The error could not be traced. What would you do if you found it? Would you tell the bank? What was striking was how few people said they would tell the bank if the mistake could not have been discovered. And they gave two particular reasons. When you break down the responses of the audience, there were sort of two camps into which those who said they wouldn't tell the bank fell. Reasons they gave for why they wouldn't do it. Some said, no, I wouldn't tell the bank because it was somebody else's mistake. And the others said, yes, I'd keep the money because I'm not hurting anyone I know. Or I care about. Many people today feel that there are lots of good reasons to run from a strict interpretation of truth or integrity. An increasing number of people seem to feel that it's okay to settle for half-truths or to ignore the subject of truth altogether or to define truth in the way that is most helpful to my own interests. In his research on the everyday ethics of the American people, Joshua Halberstam found that approximately 9 out of 10 of Americans admitted to lying regularly. 9 out of 10 said they lied regularly to give themselves an advantage, to escape the consequences of some action, or to protect someone from the truth. Many of us probably live within those statistics. I felt an inner ouch myself when I began to examine my own pattern on these terms. 
And the question is, why isn't this troubling us more? Why is the breach of integrity, the lack of a clear understanding of and alignment with truth, not something that concerns us more? In his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus emphatically commands his followers to be people of truth. And he does this by going back and touching on an ancient teaching, uh, an Old Testament teaching the Jewish people were familiar with. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but keep the oaths you have made to the Lord. But I tell you, don't swear at all, either by heaven, for it's God's throne, or by the earth, for it's his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. Simply, simply let your yes be yes, and your no, no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Any shading, any wordplay, any diversion from the simple integrity I'm talking about, yes or yes, yes and yes, or no and no, anything other than that derives from the kingdom of one who's not out to help you, Jesus is saying. Now let me just give you the backstory here so that you'll understand what he's really saying to us. Many people in Christ's day had this idea that if they did not directly say, I swear to God, or as God is my witness, when they made a, a statement, a promise, a commitment, if they didn't invoke the name of God explicitly, but instead promised in the name of heaven or earth or Jerusalem or the king's seat or whatever it may be, that it was okay then to not live up exactly to what you'd promised. You couldn't, did not necessarily have to do exactly what you said or mean completely what uh, you expressed. It was the equivalent of giving yourself the permission to have your fingers crossed behind your back. This was a widespread issue in Christ's day. But Jesus... Jesus points out that God owns everything. That no matter what you swear by, you're swearing by God himself. Heaven is his easy chair, Jesus says. Earth is his ottoman. Jerusalem is his playground. Your head, including its hair color, is his domain, says Christ. If you're assuming that truth is relative or insignificant or it can be shaded, twisted, or manipulated for your personal interests, if you're thinking that God is off in some remote space someplace and isn't paying attention to what you're saying or what you're doing until you actually invoke his name out loud, you need to think again, Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying that God is present to and involved with every dimension of our lives, with the movement of every atom, with the utterance of every syllable. 
God is paying attention. God is the divine logos, as the Apostle John describes him, that holds together everything in the universe. As Paul later says to the Athenians, he is the one in in whom every one of us is living and moving and having our being. He knows when anything slips out of alignment with the truth. He, 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 know, he feels it, he sees it, he experiences it when anything moves away from his intended order or when any statement is made that doesn't conform to reality. God expects our alignment with reality, with what is true, to be so normal that swearing, taking an oath, saying, oh, I promise you, I mean, I really mean this, would be superfluous. Have you heard people who just, you know, oh, I I really do, and you think to yourself, methinks he or she protesteth too much. He expects our integrity to be such a simple, regular part of our lives that to make a big deal of of it is, is superfluous. Think about how much of life depends on truth, on there being a real truth and our being able to find it and align ourselves to it. As John Piper puts it, truth is so precious. Did the baby swallow the missing needle or not? Is that important, whether that's true or not? To every parent, we know the answer is yes. Do we need to go to the ER or not? Is this water that I'm offering you drinkable or isn't it? Are you a friend or a spy? Will you keep your marriage vows to love and cherish me, or are you only in this for the money and the sex? Do we have enough fuel on this airplane to reach our final destination, or should we turn back now? Will this surgery leave me worse or better than I was before? Did the desperate 911 caller say 11th Avenue? Or 11th Street. What is true in each of these circumstances profoundly matters. Piper says that those who mock today the concept of there being a truth, or of truth being something that is beyond self-definition alone, are people with power who do not at that moment need to appeal to truth for the sake of their own life. The most relativistic professor in the classroom, says Piper, the one who scoffs at the concept of truth, will be indignant if his electricity bill is false to his disadvantage. He will call the utility company up and he'll complain that there's been some mistake. He will not think it funny at all if the voice at the other end says, oh, it's a mistake in your view, but not in our view. Even the most relativistic person at the end of the day when it really matters knows there's truth and it counts. To put it in construction terms, and Jesus Jesus puts it in construction terms in his famous parable of the house builders. You remember that story? The two individuals who build their houses, one on the rock and the other on the sand, and 
they experience two different outcomes. The one on the rock stands, the one on the sand falls. To put it in those kinds of terms, truth is like a solid, flat foundation. Or it's like a plumb line. You know what a plumb line is? It's a, it's a string that, with a weight at the end that hangs down to show what is actually straight, vertical, uh, against the force of gravity. Truth is like this. It's like a foundation or it's like a plumb line that shows us what straight really is. Integrity is the business of aligning our words and our actions against what is straight. Okay, that's what integrity is all about. Uh, It's lining ourselves up with those dependable planes uh, of life. And as anybody who's ever built anything very big knows, if you get in the habit of varying even a degree or two from the absolute plane of that foundation or that particular plumb line, you see this, by the way, all over the developing world where there's much less scrupulous standards to these things and and buildings routinely fall down um, because of a lack of attention to these things, you know you're going to be in terrible trouble by the end of the project. If you start out with a little degree variation and it just continues on up, you're going to be in serious trouble with disastrous consequences by the end. In fact, you can rationalize, and, and we do, all kinds of reasons for just varying from the truth a degree or two. I mean, think about it in construction terms. Ah, it won't really matter. It's just a little difference. Or, I think it looks better this way. Or, it will cost me less to do it this way. Or, other people do it this way. Or, I think I can protect somebody else's feelings by just doing it this way. But the fact remains that if that is our approach to building then all bets are off when it comes to the long-term structural integrity of whatever it is we're constructing. Woe to any individual, family, or nation that becomes careless about truth. Are you with me so far? I wish we could have David standing right here because I'm convinced he would be begging us to, to, to hold on to this thing Jesus is telling us here. Because as he stood amidst the wreckage of his household, as he looked down on the grave of the little boy that he never got to know, the, the child with Bathsheba, that he lost because of his sin. As he ached over his older son Absalom, who had gone to school on his dad's diversionary approach to truth and had become a person himself so bereft of scruples that he was publicly sleeping with his father's wives. He was conspiring to kill his dad. As David gazed over his crumbling kingdom, you could ask him how important integrity is really is, and he'd have told us. He was very clear on it at that moment. Former Supreme Court Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes once said, sin has many tools, but a lie is the handle that fits them all. Deceit, 
falsehood, lying is the handle that fits all of the tools of sin. A lie is simply a misshapen handle that lets you or the people you are lying to think that you're going straight when in reality you're veering off by maybe more than a few degrees. It may be the lie that fiddling with a financial report a little bit can't really hurt. It may be the deception that quality time with your kids is worth every bit as much as quantity time. It may be the lie that exaggerating your accomplishments, padding the resume is okay. It may be that belief that a little bit of gossip behind somebody's back is perfectly harmless. It may be the thought that you only need to invest a little bit of time now and then in your relationship with God and all will be fine. There are all kinds of little lies we tell ourselves and people tell others. Nobody sets out in life to be a person whose life lacks structural integrity. Nobody begins that way. Um, David first caught a glimpse of Bathsheba down there on the lower roof. It didn't immediately occur to him the consequences of just lingering with that gaze. He he didn't say to himself, whoa, Dave, oh, check yourself here, man. This is really dangerous. You keep looking, it could lead to touching. You start (laughs) touching this woman, you could be sleeping with her. You could wind up making her pregnant. It could force you into a position where you have to actually make her husband go off into battle and arrange for him to be killed. It could result in your ultimately losing the confidence of all of your own co-workers and leading your own son into a state of such moral confusion that he becomes a scallywag of incredible proportions himself. Danger here, Dave. This little moral diversion you're allowing yourself now is going to magnify over the long course and it is going to bring the entire house of this kingdom crashing down. I doubt David had that conversation with himself. I doubt he plotted the vector of the little degree variation of the little lie he told himself as he continued to gaze at her. And that's the way it works. We just take hold of the handle of a little lie and tell tell ourselves it's okay, we're still going mostly straight, but that variation from the truth has this consequence. And any life that is aligned with a plane other than the foundation of God's truth and the plumb line of Christ's character and righteousness will ultimately fall in this life or the next. That is why we need Nathan in our life. That's why we all need Nathan. We all got, need God, God to send us a Nathan. Uh, it may be a spouse. There are a lot of, our spouses play a huge Nathan role for us. Um, it may be a friend. It may be a, a, a co-worker. Um, it may be somebody on the street that just pulls us up short when they've seen us do something wrong. It's always a gift when God sends a Nathan into somebody's life. Nathan's job is hard, okay? It's a very tough job to be a Nathan, 
It's why there's this old Yugoslav proverb that says, tell the truth and run. Right? You know, tell the truth and, you know, run. Because you can lose your head for telling the truth. In fact, in ancient days, somebody comes and tells the king about some sin in his life, he could literally get, you know, a permanent haircut way down at the below the chin line, if you understand what I'm saying. It is risky still, and you know this, to speak honestly to somebody else about their sin or to blow the whistle on wrongdoing in an organization. Uh, it is, it, you could lose a lot to do it. It's why we often don't do it. It's why we often participate in the lie by being silent. As Henry Emile once observed, truth is not only violated by falsehood, it may be equally outraged by silence. To live with integrity is not only to be unwilling to hold on to falsehood in my life, it is to be unwilling to remain silent with a brother or sister who is off the foundation or the plumb line of truth in their life. Integrity implies both those things. Now, before any of us go off with flaming swords on a truth crusade, um, let's make sure we learn from the model of Nathan here. Two things I want to point out about Nathan in the biblical example. First, notice the credibility he has already earned. Nathan has hung around the court of David for a very long time. He has stuck by David in times of triumph and tragedy alike. He has been David's counselor. He has been his listener. He has been his steady encourager over a long time. And this creates the kind of context where there is at least a possibility that Nathan's words are going to be received because David knows Nathan is basically for him. And before we speak into the lives of others those really difficult truths, it will work so much better if the person knows we are basically for them. Secondly, notice the way that Nathan tells the truth. He could have unleashed a tirade against David. He could have said, you miserable son of a gun, you always, you never, you, you know, the kinds of things that sometimes escape our mouths when we're trying to be truth tellers. He could have done that, but he didn't. He had spent a lot of time thinking about this. How am I going to get through? How am I going to get through to the heart? How am I going to get past the defenses? And then he came up with this amazing story. And it reached the heart of David in an amazing way and led to conviction and repentance. God is like this. He's like Nathan, if you think about it. He cares so much more about changing us for the good, bringing about transformation and renewal than he does about being high and mighty and right. And that's really convicting to me because sometimes when I'm trying to change somebody else, I'm all caught up with being high and mighty and right. And yet God, God is, is so much more concerned with just breaking through and restoring the person than with, you know, blazing out in his righteousness. And that's why instead of meeting us in his 
unshielded, holy truthfulness. And he could have. I mean, God could have come to us as he fully is. He could have arrived on earth in all of his blazing, holy glory. And an encounter with his holy, blazing glory would have incinerated me and you. And so he chooses instead to come humbly in the form of a servant, in human flesh, in the life of Jesus, to be a Nathan to the human race. And instead of offering all of these theological lectures, these preaching tirades, like the religious people of the day were doing, Jesus comes to us telling us the truth in parables, in this kind of Nathan-like way. When you're committed to love somebody else the way God is committed to loving you and me, when you're committed to love another person the way Nathan is to David, the way Jesus says you and I are called to love one another, you make sure that you have earned a hearing and that you craft your message carefully. You wield the sword of truth with love and thoughtfulness. You speak the truth in love, the Bible says. But you speak the truth. Which brings me to the final thought I want to leave with you as we head out today. Henry David Thoreau once said, it takes two to speak the truth, one to speak, another to hear. If God were to speak to you today or to me through some Nathan, what would be the story he might tell? What would be the story he might tell us? Would it be about a person who saw so many specks in other people's eyes, who declared himself or herself an ethical ophthalmologist? I'm going to sort out that person. When all along they had a huge log of rotting lumber and issues of their own they were not dealing with. Would he tell a story like that to us? Would it be about a rich person who had so very much, who focused a lot on building bigger and bigger barns to store it all in when all along there were needs that she or he could have met with at least some of those resources and actually had a much more joyous life doing it? Is that the story he would be telling us? Might it be the tale of the person who who thought that because they had a good end, any means along the way justified it? Would it be the story of the individual who quit too early in the game and missed the great outcome that would have been there if they just persevered a bit longer? Would it be about the person who destroyed the temple of the Holy Spirit in themselves, wrecked the body they'd been given, thought they were immortal and weren't? Would it be about the soul who labored so hard to win, to prove, to demonstrate their love worthiness everywhere they went, never realizing they'd already won the lottery. They had the prize, the universal source, the great God of history loved them already. What would be the story that Nathan might speak into your life? And can you hear it? Can you let it reach you and change you 
and set you on the way of truth again. Whatever the truth God might be speaking to us today is, or will try to say to us through some Nathan maybe this afternoon or in the days to come, let's be among those who have the ears to hear. Because when we have allowed the truth into our hearts, when we've allowed it to really begin to turn in us, this apparently cruel tool becomes not a knife, but a key that unlocks something that needs to be broken away from. It becomes the truth that sets us free. Many will cry out, Lord, Lord, who will not enter into the glory of my kingdom, said Jesus. But only those who do what my Father in heaven calls them to do. And if you obey my teaching, said Jesus, you'll know the truth. And the truth will set you free. May you, may I, find more of it today and be agents of that blessed truth in the lives of those we love. Amen. Off into battle and arrange for him to be killed. It could result in your ultimately losing the confidence of all of your own co-workers and leading your own son into a state of such moral confusion that he becomes a scallywag of incredible proportions himself. Danger here, Dave. This little moral diversion you're allowing yourself now is going to magnify over the long course and it is going to bring the entire house of this kingdom crashing down. I doubt David had that conversation with himself. I doubt he plotted the vector of the little degree variation of the little lie he told himself as he continued to gaze at her. And that's the way it works. We just take hold of the handle of a little lie and tell, us, tell ourselves it's okay, we're still going mostly straight. But that variation from the truth has this consequence. And any life that is aligned with a plane other than the foundation of God's truth and the plumb line of Christ's character and righteousness will ultimately fall in this life or the next. That is why we need Nathan in our life. That's why we all need Nathan. We all got, need God, God to send us a Nathan. Uh, it may be a spouse there are a lot of, our spouses play a huge Nathan role for us. Um, it may be a friend, it may be a, a, a co-worker. Um, it may be somebody on the street that just pulls us up short when they've seen us do something wrong. It's always a gift when God sends a Nathan into somebody's life. Nathan's job is hard, okay? It's a very tough job to be a Nathan, it's why there's this old Yugoslav proverb that says, tell the truth and run. Right? You know, tell the truth and, you know, run. 
because you can lose your head for telling the truth. In fact, in ancient days, somebody comes and tells the king about some sin in his life, he could literally get you know, a permanent haircut way down at the below the chin line, if you understand what I'm saying. It is risky still, and you know this, to speak honestly to somebody else about their sin or to blow the whistle on wrongdoing in an organization. Uh, it is, it, you could lose a lot to do it. It's why we often don't do it. It's why we often participate in the lie by being silent. As Henry Emile once observed, truth is not only violated by falsehood, it may be equally outraged by silence. To live with integrity is not only to be unwilling to hold on to falsehood in my life, it is to be unwilling to remain silent with a brother or sister who is off the foundation or the plumb line of truth in their life. Integrity implies both those things. Now, before any of us go off with flaming swords on a truth crusade, um, let's make sure we learn from the model of Nathan here. Two things I want to point out about Nathan in the biblical example. First, notice the credibility he has already earned. Nathan has hung around the court of David for a very long time. He has stuck by David in times of triumph and tragedy alike. He has been David's counselor. He has been his listener. He has been his steady encourager over a long time. And this creates the kind of context where there is at least a possibility that Nathan's words are going to be received because David knows Nathan is basically for him. And before we speak into the lives of others those really difficult truths, it will work so much better if the person knows we are basically for them. Secondly, notice the way that Nathan tells the truth. He could have unleashed a tirade against David. He could have said, you miserable son of a gun, you always, you never, you, you know, the kinds of things that sometimes escape our mouths when we're trying to be truth tellers. He could have done that, but he didn't. He had spent a lot of time thinking about this. How am I going to get through? How am I going to get through to the heart? How am I going to get past the defenses? And then he came up with this amazing story. And it reached the heart of David in an amazing way and led to conviction and repentance. God is like this. He's like Nathan, if you think about it. He cares so much more about changing us for the good, bringing about transformation and renewal than he does about being high and mighty and right. And that's really convicting to me because sometimes when I'm trying to change somebody else, I'm all caught up with being high and mighty and right. And yet God, God is, is so much more concerned with just breaking through and restoring the person than with, you know, blazing out in his righteousness. And that's why instead of meeting us in his unshielded, holy truthfulness. And he could have. I mean, God could have come to us as he fully is. 
He could have arrived on earth in all of his blazing, holy glory. And an encounter with his holy, blazing glory would have incinerated me and you. And so he chooses instead to come humbly in the form of a servant, in human flesh, in the life of Jesus, to be a Nathan to the human race. And instead of offering all of these theological lectures, these preaching tirades, like the religious people of the day were doing, Jesus comes to us telling us the truth in parables, in this kind of Nathan-like way. When you're committed to love somebody else the way God is committed to loving you and me, when you're committed to love another person the way Nathan is to David, the way Jesus says you and I are called to love one another, you make sure that you have earned a hearing and that you craft your message carefully. You wield the sword of truth with love and thoughtfulness. You speak the truth in love, the Bible says. But you speak the truth. Which brings me to the final thought I want to leave with you as we head out today. Henry David Thoreau once said, it takes two to speak the truth, one to speak, another to hear. If God were to speak to you today or to me through some Nathan... What would be the story he might tell? What would be the story he might tell us? Would it be about a person who saw so many specks in other people's eyes, who declared himself or herself an ethical ophthalmologist? I'm going to sort out that person. When all along they had a huge log of rotting lumber and issues of their own they were not dealing with. Would he tell a story like that to us? Would it be about a rich person who had so very much, who focused a lot on building bigger and bigger barns to store it all in when all along there were needs that she or he could have met with at least some of those resources and actually had a much more joyous life doing it? Is that the story he would be telling us? Might it be the tale of the person who who thought that because they had a good end, any means along the way justified it? Would it be the story of the individual who quit too early in the game and missed the great outcome that would have been there if they just persevered a bit longer? Would it be about the person who destroyed the temple of the Holy Spirit in themselves, wrecked the body they'd been given, thought they were immortal and weren't? Would it be about the soul who labored so hard to win, to prove, to demonstrate their love worthiness everywhere they went, never realizing they'd already won the lottery. They had the prize, the universal source, the great God of history loved them already. What would be the story that Nathan might speak into your life? And can you hear it? Can you let it reach you and change you and set you on the way of truth again? 
Whatever the truth God might be speaking to us today is, or will try to say to us through some Nathan, maybe this afternoon or in the days to come, let's be among those who have the ears to hear. Because when we have allowed the truth into our hearts, when we've allowed it to really begin to turn in us, this apparently cruel tool becomes not a knife, but a key that unlocks something that needs to be broken away from. It becomes the truth that sets us free. Many will cry out, Lord, Lord, who will not enter into the glory of my kingdom, said Jesus. But only those who do what my Father in heaven calls them to do. And if you obey my teaching, said Jesus, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. May you, may I, find more of it today and be agents of that blessed truth in the lives of those we love. Amen. Please stand and join us for one more worship song.